With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, hands. This is The Brain. Are you responsible for a showing up at Rita's in our birthday suit? Liberating, don't you think? We're au natural in honor of Rita's new all-natural Italian ice. Fresh flavors like banana, pineapple, orange, and strawberry. Outrageously tasty. Listen, Rita's all-natural Italian ice is made with simple ingredients like cane sugar, water, and fruit juices. It's not an invitation to show up completely naked. They will not be amused. Okay, we'll put on some gloves. That will not be enough. Pico Rita's. Blog Talk Radio. Man, it was real cool in school if we got good grades. I straight up A's. The parents were taking to a 76 game. I got my game and there ain't no shame. Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone. Julius Serber called Philly is home. Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony Sinkin' Freeze. Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly. But if you want to make it on time to the show, there's only one road that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Want to get downtown but feeling in the fix. Get on that road they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate. They ever made a palace, they ain't famous, but they got the game. jump shot and maybe get a little bit quicker off the dribble 
I think he could really be a nice player at the next level. Um, and obviously he's a difference maker in, you know, in the college game, and that's what you need in March Madness. You need that one guy who can carry you for you know when you absolutely have to have a basket. So that's why I, I like the Hawks a lot uh, in the next weekend. Yeah, I, I have them, you know, getting past Cincinnati. Uh, obviously, my team is Temple. We've had our talks about that over the years. But, uh, you know, I I saw the, the Owls beat Cincinnati pretty handily two times this season. The the Hawks definitely gave the, the Owls more of a game. So, you know, I, I think the Hawks are going to get past that one. Maybe a tough one against Oregon. You know, obviously, whenever you play a number one seed, that's going to be tough. So, yeah, I'm excited, and, uh, you know, Carrie, in, in our last episode here, uh, Mike and I kind of talked in depth about, you know, Jalil for potentially missing the rest of the season due to knee injury. Now we know that this thing is reality. You know, he's going to miss the rest of the season with uh, the meniscus tear in his knee. So, you know, what was your initial reaction to the news when it uh, broke last week? I would say I was delighted, and I know that sounds sarcastic as hell, but to find out that it wasn't something major, um, you know, a meniscus is, you know, not a big deal. They're going to do a quick surgery, which is under 10 minutes from what I've been told and read, and he'll be healed up in in no time. And if this was, you know, this was an NFL running back, he'd be back on the field in three weeks, you know, so it's not really a big deal. So I was actually relieved and delighted to hear there was just a meniscus and not something major. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely glad to hear it was just a meniscus with uh, the, the long history of Sixers centers knees in Philadelphia. So, um, you know, minor surgery, hopefully, you know, he takes the time to heal, um, you know, towards the end of the season here and comes back strong in summer league. But, you know, Mike and I just kind of posed the question uh, in, in our last episode you know, whether or not this could be the end of Okafor's career as a Sixer. Um, obviously, you know, with the injury, it might change things, but uh, what's your thoughts regarding that issue? I mean, I think it's a definite possibility. Obviously, there were a, a number of trade rumors surrounding him leading up to the deadline this year. And even honestly, if you ask around in NBA circles previous to that, it was known that they were listening to offers for Okafor. Now, they'll, I think the Sixers, Sam Hinkie and whoever is talking down there will tell you that they listen to all offers for any players. Um, but specifically, I've been told that the Sixers were definitely interested in learning what was that being offered and what was available for Okafor. So you put all that together with the fact that I've heard that they're not exactly excited about his attitude for defense, the off-the-court issues, while they have calmed down of late, definitely – were a problem at the beginning of the year. You start to put all this together, and you can see where he may not be back next year. You know, if they get the right offer for him, and they can get a perimeter player or a point guard, I'd have to be, I, you know, I would be listening very closely to an offer that included a, a star perimeter player or a point guard in exchange for Okafor. So I, I think the possibility of him being back, not being back next year, is, is very real. And, Mike, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the phone immediately after the news broke. Do you think that this would, you know, diminish Okafor's trade value if the Sixers were to trade him? Um, Do you think this kind of makes him untradeable altogether in the interim until teams kind of figure out, you know, what his health is? 
you know, I think it definitely hurts a little bit. Uh, you know, anytime a, a big guy has to end the season on the shelf like that, it's a, uh, you know, a cause for a little bit of concern, but, uh, you know, like Terry alluded to, it's um, a meniscus isn't, uh, you know, it's not like a huge issue. It's not like a, you know, a bone, like a Joel Embiid foot situation. It's something that should be, uh, you know, able to be taken care of and healed up pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, I don't think it makes him untradeable. It, you know, probably hurts a little bit in the short term because now teams will need to, you know, do a little bit of extra due diligence in terms of, you know, making sure that it's healed up properly, which they wouldn't have had to do otherwise. But, um you know, I, I think it's by the time that they would even be considering, you know, looking to move him, we're talking about, you know, this summer leading up to the draft, it should be, uh, you know, he should be basically healed by then, uh, you know, doing full basketball activities. Uh, the, you know, the original um, the original report said recovery time was expected to be about six weeks, which, uh, you know, should put him back to, you know, full basketball activities sometime in mid-April. So, uh you know, hopefully as long as he, he's able to stay in shape um, and, you know, and stay stay in good conditioning, I think he should be, uh, you know, pretty pretty back to normal come the off season. And at that point, um, you know, the possibility of him getting moved, as, uh, you know, Kerry was just talking about, becomes, uh, you know, very real. And I think especially considering, uh, you know, the other options to trade as far as, you know, either Joel Embiid or Nerlens Noel. I feel like Okafor, um, you know, is just the most likely to be moved at this point for, uh, you know, A, for fit reasons, and B, because he would probably draw the biggest, uh, you know, return on the market at this point. Um, you know, Embiid, as good as he might be, has, uh, you know, really low value league-wide right now just because he has his own injury issues and questions surrounding him. And, uh, you know, obviously Okafor is a little bit more polished offensively than Nerlens, which I think makes him a uh, a little more attractive on the market. So, you know, I think it's a, it's like a, it's a minor concern at this point as far as his, his knee, but I think it's something that, uh, you know, he should recover from quickly and won't pause or like, you know, won't be too big of an issue whether or not, you know, if the team is trying to trade him or not eventually. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely going to have a market value regardless, just strictly based on the numbers he put up this year uh, as only a rookie. I mean, you look at his offensive skill, and there's no denying, you know, what type of impact he, he can have on really any team. I mean, if you want to plug him in on the bench on a championship contender, that's fine. You know, if you want to give him starting minutes on a team, you know, in rebuilding mode like the Sixers, I mean, that's fine as well. Um, you know, we, we talked about potential suitors in the Celtics and in the Trailblazers and the Lakers, you know, possible landing spots, possible places that, you know, might have interest in, and grabbing him this summer, but uh, yeah, it, it remains to be seen. And um, you know, going back to the team here for a second, uh, Kerry, you know, the the Sixers can only tie being the worst team of all time. If they were to lose out the rest of the way, um, you know, Robert Covington and Jeremy Grant left that win over the Nets, and you know, very ugly collision under the basket. You know. Covington having to be stretchered off and Grant in return with kind of concussion-like symptoms. You know, with the play uh, we saw them play last night against that same team without those two guys, uh, you know, how crucial is it for them to, you know, return to the court for this team the rest of the way? Well, I think if the Sixers stand any chance of being competitive in their remaining games, they have to get back on the court. For me, as, as a journalist and as a fan, it, it's, the Sixers are practically unwatchable without Covington and Grant. 
<clears throat> just in terms of, you know, providing an outside shot, Grant with his defense and athleticism. And when you take those two out of the lineup, this team becomes, I mean, a, a glorified, you know, YMCA squad with, with you know, a, a really tall guy down low is what it becomes. They just don't, you know, I'm not saying that Grant and Covington are all-stars, but for this team, they're, they're key members. And without them, I don't see how they can win a game down the last stretch of this season. What do you think of, uh, you know, the the way Bojan Bogdanovich just completely manhandled the Sixers? <laughs> I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not something we haven't seen over the last few years or three years, for that matter. Now, it seems like players always put up career best numbers against this Sixers team, and it's because the defense is so horrific. Um, I didn't think it could get worse than it did last year. In fact, I actually thought we saw progress at the end of last year on the defensive side. And this year it has gone completely backwards. Um, and for all those Ish Smith lovers out there, and I, you know, I, I like Ish Smith there, but so many people are over the top. Somebody should watch this guy play defense because he's absolutely killing the Sixers in terms of keeping the ball on the perimeter and, you know, playing his man and keeping his man out of the lane. Um, as much as he's brought offensively, he's just helped us. He's one of the reasons that the, the defense has spiraled down even further, and you're seeing – you know, career highs like we saw last night or two nights ago uh, against the Sixers because they can't stop anyone on defense. Yeah, it's really been awful. I mean, we've we've had our talks about just, especially on the perimeter, how bad the Sixers have been the last, you know, seven years or or whatever it's been up to this point. And, you know, obviously Noel – kind of helped out in terms of a post presence for this team the past couple of seasons, but they really haven't found a way to guard the perimeter still. And, uh, you know, that, that could just be, we don't really have the talent, which is probably what it comes down to. Um, but it, it, it doesn't make it any less frustrating to just consistently see this team underperform on the defensive end. And, you know, it all starts up top. So, uh, you know, I, I think Luke Mute kind of helped out a little bit more last season in terms of that uh, wing defender, even uh, Jakar Sampson, uh, you know, at stretches. Um, but now it's just kind of non-existent. Um, but once again, this is the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McManaman, alongside Michael Cassie, Blomain, and special guest, Terry Smith. You know, today, Zach Lowe put out a podcast uh, with Brett Brown, and Brett Brown, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys have been kind of paying attention to his press conferences recently, but it seems like he's been almost too candid as a coach. Um, you know, he talked about how these past three years were of immense pain for kind of everyone surrounding the organization. Um, Kerry, did you get a chance to kind of listen to that podcast and hear Brown's comments today? I, I actually did, and, you know, can you blame the guy at this point for being candid? I mean, he's been the good soldier for as long as I can remember now. And I actually remember in one of our season previews, I wrote that I was expecting a full-blown meltdown from him this year if, you know, they won 12 games. Uh, you know, at some point everybody's at their breaking point, and he's, I could see that Brown's getting close to it. So am I surprised that he's been so candid? A little bit, but – if you've been through what he's been through the last three years, when would you have broken and started being as candid as he's being right now? 
Yeah, I I mean, I would have lost it after the the losing streak to start the season, but um, you know that that's a different story, and especially the way they played post All Star break. I mean, Mike, we've talked about this on countless occasions, just you know how they've been a completely different team after the All Star break, and you know, did you get a chance to listen to that, and what did you get out of it? Yeah, I did catch it. And, you know, every time, you know, we get to listen to Brett Brown talk, whether it be at the press conferences or when he does something national like this, he he just can't help but, you know, he just comes off as such like a nice and personable guy that, uh, you know, and you get the feeling that he genuinely wants, uh, you know, this program to turn around and he wants to be the guy that's there to lead it. You know, I think a lot of coaches in the league, not that they're not, not that they're passionless, but they, you know, it's, it becomes a job. And while it's definitely been a job for Brett, it's also, you know, become something he's, he's described as I think like a labor of love, like something that, you know, he, he thoroughly enjoys doing. And I think that always comes off um, in his interviews. Uh, that's how I felt when he was talking to, to Zach and the, um, the low post, I just felt that, uh, you know, he, you know, it's obviously his job to put a positive spin on things. So at this point, <clears throat> excuse me, it gets, you know, kind of repetitive to hear him talk about how great of a guy Joel Embiid is or how well he's progressing along or, you know, because <clears throat> obviously he's trying to put a positive spin on things. But at the same time, like both you just alluded to, I mean, after the past three years, the fact that, uh, you know, he still sees so much potential, uh, you know, positive potential in the organization going forward and what they've done, uh, you know, even though he hasn't agreed with all the moves like wholeheartedly, you know, he, he's on record that the, uh, you know, the MCW trade kind of took him by surprise. There's been a couple other, um, you know, times that him and Hinky might not have seen eye to eye, but, you know, they've obviously gone with the plan and he's done his best to guide the team through it. So, uh, you know, I think his candidness, as Kerry kind of mentioned, it's, it's his way of not necessarily like breaking down, but his kind of way of dealing with, uh, you know, all the, the pressure and this the struggle that the past three seasons have been, the, the best way he can do it at this point is kind of, you know, through humor, but, you know, just raw honesty too. And I think, it, you know, that's kind of where he is at this point. Uh, after three years of, so, you know, a lot of scrutiny and a lot of people asking him, you know, similar questions, he, you know, he has no, no choice really but to be honest. And I think, uh, you know, maybe Sam doesn't like every single thing he says when he, uh, you know, when he's speaking so candidly, but I think overall it's pretty uh, pretty refreshing for fans at least to be able to hear him speaking in, you know, a manner that seems to be, you know, straight, you know, straight off the cuff and, you know, from the heart and direct. Can you imagine what his press conference is going to be like when this team actually has a legitimate chance to win games on a on a nightly basis? <laughs> I mean, he really, obviously, he really knows the game. He's an entertaining personality. He cares a great deal more than most NBA coaches do. And I just I look forward to the day when he can talk after a game in which his team had a legitimate shot to win, and not this you know lip service so to speak where he's putting on the happy face when he you could see. You know, if you look through him, you can see that he's he's losing his mind. And I so the day that he steps to that podium and has a, a shot to talk about basketball and specific plays that may or may not have won a game, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing those press conferences. I think they'll be highly entertaining and informative. I mean, he's a straight up entertainer. How how can you not uh, love listening to that accent for you know 40 minutes long? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh. It's it's a pleasure to have, you know, a coach like Brett who's really sucked it up, um, you know, hasn't 
really shown his frustration, um, you know, maybe on the sidelines for the players, but in terms of the media, he hasn't really, you know, displayed his anger towards the team. He's, you know, very level-headed, and he knows that, you know, the time is close where he's not going to have to, you know, be so scripted, and he can actually have that excitement in his voice um, when he when he's talking on the podium. So, you know, I, I'm happy for him, and, you know, I thought it was a very interesting podcast by, you know, Lowe today, and, you know, it's always good when, you know, either a player or a coach gets national exposure for the Sixers because, you know, most of the time it's negative. In this case, it kind of showed Brown in more of a positive light, and, you know, I was happy for him. Another thing that I kind of noticed recently and, um, you know, I just found it more interesting than anything else was it seems like, you know, these former Sixers guards are finding homes on other teams and, you know, performing at least well enough to keep their jobs where, you know, the Sixers themselves are just kind of cycling through crap right now and nothing's really, you know, sticking. And, you know, they're they're making moves like, you know, bringing back Christian Wood just to sit in for three days rather than addressing a position of need like, you know, shooting guard. Um, you know, case in point, Sean Kilpatrick scoring 19 points against the Sixers last night. Um Tony Roden getting a three-year deal with the Knicks, as well as Jordan McRae uh, getting his uh, his contract for the rest of the season with the Cavs. Carrie, I'll start with you. I mean, what do you think of just – it seems like the Sixers are not addressing, you know, one of their main positions right now at shooting guard, and, you know, they're just kind of dancing around the issue that has been so blatant all season. I can't disagree with you that that the shooting guard and point guard, for that matter, the entire backcourt remain huge problems for the Sixers. But I don't think any of the guys you just mentioned or that we've let go are, are difference makers. Would you know? Would they have helped this year? Probably. Would they have led to more wins? Doubtful. Are they part of the process and the long-term answer? Absolutely not. I mean, Tony Roden got signed a three-year deal by the Knicks. That's all you needed to say right there. That team, you know, the Knicks <laughs> and the franchise are a mess. Sean Kilpatrick has been, you know, a professional basketball player for a while now, whether it's, you know, overseas or in the league or in the D league, he's a nice player. That's it. He's not going to be, you know, a star in this league. He's not a difference maker. Um, you know, I actually think to be honest with you, I look at guys like the names you've mentioned, plus Drew holiday and Michael Carter Williams. And I, Say maybe they got it right. Maybe they've been letting go of the right guys because I haven't seen anyone, you know, whether it's because of injuries or lack of skill, who has really torn it up since they left the Sixers. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Obviously, these guys have uh, no place in the long-term plans with the team. Just you know, currently in the interim, when you know you see the Sixers uh, give a 10-day contract to a guy like. Christian Wood over Sean Kilpatrick, um, where you didn't really need Christian Wood on the team, which was evident of him not playing one minute in those uh, three games where he just sat on the bench before being cut. Um, Mike, you know, what do you think of just them not addressing just even the competitiveness that this team could have with uh, 
you know, an extra scorer on, on the bench. Yeah, you know, the not signing Sean Kilpatrick was a bit of a head scratcher to me. That that's like really my only beef with uh, you know, their recent the recent um, you know, moves or lack thereof. Uh, you know, he was kind of just sitting there in the D League, uh, you know, obviously teams were taking notice. Uh he was playing really well and it did seem like a situation where, you know, the Sixers obviously could use scoring and, you know, specifically wing scoring. Um, but, but that being said, uh, you know, he doesn't, he is 26 years old. He's probably not a guy, you know, but Carrie and you guys kind of said that, uh, you know, would probably be a part going forward, but you know, what else is this process quote unquote for, if not, you know, at least trying out talent <clears throat> in the specific situation you're talking about. Uh, you know, I think they, they already knew what Christian would, would bring them, um, you know, like, and he obviously didn't play much. It seems it was a little peculiar. I thought that they would opt to bring him back rather than, you know, giving an opportunity to a guy who could, you know, maybe show enough to be considered, uh, you know, an off, an option going forward. You know, he's been playing well with uh, the Nets since his opportunity, scoring in double figures pretty consistently. So, uh, you know, it's not – I don't think that's a, a huge needle mover either way. It was just more something that was, uh, you know, kind of a little intriguing to me. But obviously, uh, you know, I think everyone's aware that those positions are – you know, have to be filled going forward, uh, you know, probably starting this summer. I don't think the team can't really get by with the, uh, you know, the rotating door at the point guard position and, you know, basically no production or at least not any consistent production on both ends of the floor from the wing positions. Uh, You know, they have a lot of the front court pieces in place, although we don't know, you know, exactly who's going to be where, but between Joel, um, Nerlens, and Ja. And then, you know, maybe uh, Rashawn, Jeremy Grant. There's enough guys there in the front court. They really need to start looking to add talent that they can build upon in the, uh, you know, in the backcourt and add some guys that, you know, can put the ball in the basket from the wing. Yeah, and obviously the the main way the Sixers are looking to do that is through the upcoming NBA draft. Uh, you know, I'm getting tired of the, the third pick in the draft, uh, I'm really, you know, hoping that number one pick finally conveys this season. And, uh, you know, the Sixers have the potential at two franchise-changing talents in uh, Brandon Ingram and Ben Simmons. Um, One interesting thing that came from uh, ESPN, Colin Coward today, is uh, where he kind of gave advice to Ben Simmons saying, hey, buddy, you know, you better tank your workout with the Sixers this summer if uh, you don't want to be drafted by them, um, which I think is a load of complete crap, and it, you know, doesn't mean anything. You know, if, if Sam Hinkie has game tape after game tape of uh, Ben Simmons, do you really think messing up on a workout or not playing your hardest during a workout is really going to affect anything? Um, Kerry, were you able to, you know, see this clip and, what do you think of his his comments? You know, I actually did see it. I'm a big, I'm a, actually a pretty big Cowherd fan, and that was one of the biggest moments where I disagreed with him so strongly. It's unreal. I, I, you know, I just think it's ridiculous that he would even mention that. I mean, you listen to these legendary workout stories about prospects going so hard that they threw up, or you know that guys rise and fall by their individual or two-on-two workout that they put, a, you know, on for these teams, and it means, you know, five or six places in the draft. And it, it's just mind-blowing to me that he would even mention that. And there's, I don't think there's any way that Simmons and his, you know, people are thinking that way at all. 
Um, so I, you know, it's just a mystery to me why that was even brought up, but it did give me a laugh, but you know, and that's what he does. He's an entertainer. So I guess you got to tip <laughs> your cap to him for that. Yeah, Mike, I mean, is there any real advantage to tanking workout the way Coward put it? I mean, uh, you know, if you're going to be a top five pick and, you know, there's really no guarantees where you're going to go, you know, is there any advantage to tanking a workout? No, absolutely not. I thought that quote was just preposterous. Where I saw it earlier today. Uh, it's uh, it's just another example of kind of like the national media's perspective on the Sixers and trying to get a jab in there. You know, if they if he knew what he was talking about, the workout for the, at least as far as the Sixers are concerned, and from you know what I've been seeing covering them, it, it doesn't matter. I'm. Hinky, you know, he he knows what he needs to know. They didn't get to work out Embiid, they picked him. They didn't work out, uh, or you know, Okafor, they picked him. The workout becomes meaningless at that point. They've seen him, especially a team that has, like, the, uh, <clears throat> you know, the recon department that the Sixers do. They're overseas. They're at college games. Their decision isn't, you know, made or broken based off a of workout. And, uh, you know, if anything, I think that would just come off and look terrible for a player if uh, he, you know, went into a workout with any professional team regardless of if he did or didn't want to be there and you know just perfect like purposely played bad you know and that got out that you know that would I think automatically just bring up questions about the player's character to begin with uh you know you can deny a workout if it's that serious just don't you know don't work out for the team uh but uh you know they when it comes down to it I, I think you know any any player might not necessarily want to jump right into the Sixers situation, but at the same time, if you're a young guy like Ben Simmons, who's projected to be a potential franchise player, it actually could be a great situation for you where there's a lot of young talent and you could, you know, kind of step in and be maybe the the potential face of the franchise that the team's kind of been waiting for and, uh, you know, kind of get the team structure uh, structured around you um, in a, in a manner that might not necessarily happen with other teams that have, you know, a little bit more in place already. Um, you know, the Sixers are very, you know, malleable at this point. There's nothing, you know, rigid or set in stone. So, you know, it would definitely provide an opportunity for a guy like Simmons to kind of come in and have the opportunity to be that star that people are kind of, you know, expecting him to be right off the bat. But, uh, you know, as far as the workout, I, I, just, I don't see any advantage to, uh, you know, a player, that, you know, not trying as hard as when it comes to, a, you know, a pre-draft workout. I thought it was complete BS, as uh, it seems like you guys both did. Um, yeah, it really has no, um, you know, no pluses in terms of, you know, not being selected by a team. Like, that's completely bogus. Yeah, if anything, it's going to hurt uh, in terms of what people think of him. You know, no one wants to show up to a job interview unprepared, and that's what uh, basically this would be for that player. Um no, I mean, I agree with you just a little bit further. With Jerry Colangelo on board now at the Sixers, there's no way Ben Simmons is going to pull a stunt or his people would pull a stunt like that. Maybe, you know, there was a 1% chance they would have done it to Hinky when he was running the show by himself. But now with Colangelo and his involvement in USA Basketball, to believe that Colangelo would just put a strike right through Ben Simmons' name for any future USA Basketball consideration if he <laughs> tanked a yeah. workout for the Sixers. I mean. It's one thing for Przingis and his people not to talk to the Sixers or work out for them. It's another whole thing to do what Cowherd is talking about, you know, come in and uh, what's he going to do, miss every jump shot he puts up or, you know, <laughs> not not run hard? I mean, it's just preposterous 
at so many levels, and then now throwing the throwing Colangelo on top of it, and how respected he is across the league and by agents, and there's just no way it would ever happen. It's just no way. It's insane to even think about it. Yeah, I, I mean, in the the likely scenario, um, I I guess the Sixers would get three picks. Uh, hopefully, the number one pick. It doesn't really seem too likely that they would get that Lakers pick at number four, but you know you can always hope and pray. And then you know currently they're projected to get pick number twenty-two, as well as uh, pick number twenty-seven in the first round. And you know. I've heard it's more of a top-heavy draft uh, coming up here. Obviously, the big names are Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons, Jalen Brown, uh, you know, Dragon Bender, and Chris Dunn. Um, Terry, you know, have you given any thought to, you know, this upcoming draft and who you think would be, you know, the best fits for the team? You know, say the Sixers don't land the number one pick. They're stuck with number two. Um, and, uh, you know, Ingridley is off the board, would you pick Ben Simmons or would you go for, you know, one of these guards who might be a better fit for the team? I think I would have to find out what's going on with Sarich first. If Dario is coming over, that solves a lot of issues at the forward spot, and I'd lean heavily towards one of the guards, uh, either Dunn or Murray from Kentucky, who is who is – rocketing up uh, draft boards right now. And I think if Kentucky has a good run he'll in the tournament, he'll push up even further on, on people's draft boards. I mean, obviously, you know, Simmons and Brown and Bender are the three people that everyone's talking about. But if you have Sarich coming over, I'm not sure that there are any of those three guys is a great fit for the Sixers. They might be the most talented player available, but are they a great fit if the Sixers are trying to take a giant step forward next year? I'm not sure. You know, as we've talked about, you have to solve this backcourt issue that's been going on for two-plus years now. I mean, you just don't have NBA starting quality players at the point guard or shooting guard spot. So I would lean towards a Dunn or a Murray, or maybe you reach for a Buddy Heald at Oklahoma. Um, if he has a great tournament, he could get inside the top five, possibly. A lot of people have him in that 7 to 10 range right now. So I would definitely look to solve the backcourt problems, especially if Sarich is coming back uh, is coming over to to the Sixers. So I'll kind of double side this question. So if you are stuck with the number one pick, uh, it's almost a no brainer to go Brandon Ingram at this point, right? If you're talking about a non trade situation, then I think yes, I think Ingram is the no brainer. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with Simmons. I, I think the only thing I've seen this year that I'm not crazy excited about is that he reminds me of a Lamar Odom type where he's super laid back about everything and, and just kind of, you know, that's the personality. And he, he just looks, it makes so smooth. It makes everything look so easy. It's just like, he's so, it looks like he's so laid back. Um, but I don't think he's done anything to hurt him, his draft stock, Simmons is, that is. But it looks like Ingram is the way everyone's leaning right now. So I think if you're number one and you're not going to trade that pick uh, for a package of players, then, yes, Ingram is the way to go. So, Mike, uh, the vertical came out with a you know, draft board the other day. They have the Sixers taking Ingram at number one. 
And then number 22, um, they have them kind of shoring up the backcourt, taking Tyler Ulis, and then with pick number 27, uh, Grayson Allen from Duke. Um, you know, do you think this is kind of the likely scenario that would play itself out? They go for, you know, if they get that number one pick, Ingram, and then, you know, add a couple guards to the backcourt. You'd think that would make sense. I mean, first of all, I just have, you know, I have my fingers crossed that they get one of those first two spots. I think that's, you know, the most important. Uh, Landed in the third spot, again, for the third year in a row would just be, you know, I think devastating, especially because, you know, I think a lot of Connecticut, um, you know, you you guys have been discussing, it's kind of, you know, a top-heavy, mainly a two-player draft with, uh, you know, Ingram and Simmons being, you know, really the the top tier right there. And then, you know, everyone else kind of a a step below them. Um, You know, I think it's definitely crucial that the Sixers land at least one of those two. I mean, all three, three of these past years to not even get a top two pick would be, you know, almost just a slap in the face to some of the people that have been like really patient, you know, uh, people forget that, you know, this year the Sixers will, you know, pretty much guaranteed they'll have the worst record in the league, but they haven't had it, the, like, the worst overall record in the league either of the past two years, and they haven't had a top two pick. So, you know, if all this tanking is going to come to fruition and pay off, it will be with them landing a top two pick um, this year. And, you know, with that being said, as, as you know, as both you guys just said, I think, you know, just fit-wise and, you know, style of play-wise, I think Ingram has to be the uh, – you know, the guy, if the Sixers get that top pick, you know, not only does he fit exactly what the team needs currently and, you know, would probably complement what they have um, as far as young talent better than Simmons would, he's just the type of guy that seems like he'll be perfect for, you know, the way that the, <clears throat> the, way that the league is headed, you know, as far as the style of play with, you know, just an emphasis on long, athletic, big guys that can spread the floor, like get up and down. He's just, you know, his great size, six nine, like 200 pounds, uh, you know, great shot, you know, great athleticism. You know, as, as far as just a, you know, prospect, he's, you know, ideal. And then you throw in the ready-made skills that he has, uh, you know, jump shot, uh, you know, defense, his just natural athleticism. He's, you know, he seems like a guy that would basically be tailor-made and, you know, perfect fit for the Sixers right now. Um, you know, he has his weaknesses, of course. He'd have to work on his ball handling. As From what I've seen, he's a little bit loose with the ball, um, not necessarily super confident, like taking it, you know, from the perimeter to the basket. But, uh, you know, those are obviously things that can be worked on. So, uh, you know, I think I, I would agree with that, the vertical there, that um, if they did land the top pick, um, Ingram would, you know, be the guy that I think would be the best fit. If, if not, you know, if they get the second pick and Ingram ends up going first and, you know, you wind up with Simmons, you know, it's definitely a little bit more of a question regarding fit and, you know, going forward. But at the very least, you have, you know, this guy that's valued very highly around the league in addition to all the other assets that the team has now. And at that point, you know, they could assess what they have and try to, you know, shake things up, you know, over the market with free agency if, you know, Simmons would obviously get a lot of value if they felt that they didn't want to keep him. But, you know, it's just crucial, I think, that they get one of those two, in, you know, for the rebuild itself um, as, you know, they obviously have the biggest value going forward. Uh, you know, winding up with the third pick or the fourth pick, you would get some talent there, but I think it's just not the, uh, you know, not necessarily the same quality that you get in the top two. And, uh you know, you just don't know necessarily how deep this draft really is. And then, you know, that comes down to a question, too, is if you want the uh, 
that Lakers pick to even convey this year at this point, considering, you know, the talent in the draft. And if it doesn't come over, you know, it loses protections each year. And then next year with the potential of another deep draft, would you then, you know, after the team already has some talent and uh, maybe not quite as high as a draft pick next year, then the chance to get an additional pick, um, you know, it's something else to think about too heading into the draft. So, Kerry, I mean, what are your thoughts on Ben Simmons? I mean, is there any shot that this kid could fall to number three after, you know, not being able to lead his team to the NCAA tournament? Um, You know, the stuff that came out about his academics and, um, you know, people have compared him to Rajon Rondo, the way it seems like he's trying to pad his stats out on the court rather than put the intensity – towards his team winning basketball games. Um, what have you, you know, thought about Ben Simmons' year overall? I think it's, it's gone from a bad situation to a horrible situation, and not all of it is Simmons' fault. You know, obviously there were some circumstances around him choosing LSU over all these other top-flight traditional basketball program, programs, and, you know, I think it's proven to be the wrong decision. He doesn't have the talent around him. He doesn't have the coaching. He's in – what's not really known as a great basketball conference. So I don't think he did himself any favors this year. However, I don't think it's all Ben Simmons' fault and that he's had a train wreck of a season. I think when you look at the circumstances, is anyone surprised that at LSU that the star basketball player was not going to class? I mean, does that shock anyone? I mean, that does, <laughs> those, things happen, I mean those things happen at Stanford and Duke. What, what did you think was going to happen at an academically challenged school like LSU? Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, that's just the way the world is these days. Um, But, again, there's no talent surrounding him. They do nothing to help him offensively in terms of running their sets or or running a system that works for him. He's out there by himself trying to create his own plays. And it just has been a train wreck of a season, and I don't necessarily think it's all his fault. And that's why I can't really understand if you look deep at what's going on there. And I think the NBA scouts and the NBA player personnel people see this, it's not Ben Simmons' fault completely, and it shouldn't impact his draft status that his program that, that he went to for a year is an absolute train wreck and has done him a disservice. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think if you talk to the right NBA people, they don't see Simmons as having less skill than he did back in October. Uh, I just think the circumstances were not a good fit for him, and, it, and that proved out over the long haul of a 30-plus game season at LSU. Without a doubt. I mean, you could just see in that uh, that final tournament there, you know, he just was exhausted. He was tired of being that guy that kind of had to lead the team in everything for 40 minutes. I mean, that's not what you want as a player. You want that team, you know, surrounding you to help you out. Yeah, it, it just wasn't there all year. He, he was spent. Um, but, I mean, in terms of – you know, going back to the Sixers now, talking about a team that spent, you know, they still have to go through the motions here for the rest of the season. There's a, a few more kind of winnable games, if you can say winnable at this point, coming up, um, you know, against Denver, the Knicks, the Pelicans, Bucks. Mike, is there any of these games that you're kind of circling for a win at this point? I mean, they're making it tough, man, the way they've been playing. Uh, you know, I think you'd have to go 
all the way down the calendar. They play the Knicks, the Pelicans, the Knicks, and the Bucks uh, in, in, in three times in a week. That's uh, April 5th, 8th, and 10th. I think one, you'd like to think one of those three games, you know, uh, three teams, obviously, they're out of the playoff picture and, you know, have some struggles of their own, you know, because otherwise they have, you know, basically all games against teams in the playoffs, and there's, they've really just, you know, had – Given us no, you know, no reason to believe that they can pull off a win against, you know, the likes of anyone, um, you know, in the playoff picture right now. So, you know, at this point, obviously, we want to, um, you know, ensure the the best odds at the top pick. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I don't think anyone wants to see them, you know, tied with having the worst record in NBA history. That's not a, you know, not necessarily the best thing for some of the young guys to have on their resume um, going forward in their careers. So, I think, you know. Seeing them win at least one more game to get them to 10 on the season would be ideal. And, uh, yeah, if I had to guess, I would say maybe that, that Bucks, that Knicks or that Bucks game would probably give them the best chance. Um, you know, or at the, toward the very end of the season, they play, you know, the Raptors or the Bulls um, at the last couple of games if they happen to be, you know, resting guys for the playoffs at, by the, at that point, um, you know, basically taking the Sixers game as a night off. Uh, you know, there's a chance they could squeak out a win or two. So, you know, I mean, there's there's a chance there that for a couple more, but uh, you know, I, I would say two more wins for the you know the next month is about the absolute ceiling um, for the team. But uh, you know, personally, I, I just want as long as they you know notch one more to get up to double digits on the season, I think uh, you know that that's about all I could expect. And Carrie, I mean, have you ever uh, you know in your wildest dreams did you ever think the season could wind up where the Sixers could potentially tie for the worst record in basketball history as the Warriors could get the best record of all time in NBA history. Absolutely not. I mean, I really thought that we would see some progress this year in terms of in the win column. Uh, You know, I think we've seen some signs of progress, individual players making progress, but I thought as a team there would be a small step forward this year and it's been just the opposite. Uh, we're as bad or going backwards from what we saw last year. Um, and I, there's no way I thought we'd be sitting on nine wins with roughly a month left in the season. Uh, I think my prediction at the beginning of the year was 19 or 20 wins. So to get half that is mind-blowing to me. Even at the All-Star or even at the midway point, you know, 41 games into the season, we did a review on Philadelphia, and I said that we would end up with 15 wins. The Sixers would end up with 15 wins. You know, we were playing decently at that point. Ish Smith was, you know, the savior, and it's just crashed out since that time. And the fact, the thing that we will probably not get to double-digit wins, Mike stole my thunder a little bit. I see their next win coming at Toronto in at the next to last game of the year when Toronto is resting everyone for the playoffs. <laughs> I really see that as their next chance of winning a game. Everyone else is either too too competitive or fighting for a playoff spot or, you know, Golden State's going for the record. I don't see anyone taking it on taking the night off against them until that Toronto game on April twelfth. You know Drake's gonna Get Ish Smith into a five-second violation. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> only a matter of time. That would be that would be totally Sixers if you know what I mean. If that happened. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for uh, joining us, Carrie. Once again, this was uh, the Seventy Sixers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky Blomine. Uh, go out and follow us on the App Stitcher and. Uh, 
you know, I I say I feel like I say this at the end of every episode, but I hope for you know every fan out there's sake that you know you're not watching the worst NBA team of all time this season. I hope that they you know pull out you know one or two more victories here to avoid that. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, until next time, thanks for uh, listening. Man, it was real cool in the school If we got good grades, I straight up A's The parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots from Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Serva called Philly is home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking threes Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you want to make it on time to the show There's only one role that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feeling the fix Get on that road, they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate They ever made a palace, they ain't famous, but they got your game Getting on, getting on, 76 Travel by me, this Larry Bird Getting on, 76 Travel by me, this Larry Bird Welcome to the 76ers Report with your host, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Kasky Blomain. Don't let those other guys make your family share data. Switch to T-Mobile now and get four lines with up to six gigs each of 4G LTE data. Just 30 bucks a line and no sharing. So ditch your data worries and switch to the uncarrier today. Get to T-Mobile or call 1-800-T-Mobile. Limited time offers plus taxes and fees. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. See store for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.